So welcome to episode 77 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast, and I'm joined once again by Darren Hill. Darren, we've uh, it's been a few weeks, you've been on holidays, we've actually caught up face-to-face in that time, but we haven't managed to do a pod together, but uh, I gather you've been enjoying the playoffs thus far. Milwaukee have only lost uh, the one game, and here we are, very close to the Eastern Conference Finals. It's uh, new territory for, for Bucks fans, Daz, new territory where... It's um, you kind of expect the end of the world right to come at any at any moment, and then all the data tells you otherwise. And actually, your your vital signs are fine. So it's a unfamiliar unfamiliar territory. But yeah, just absolute absolute blast right now. It was funny when you had the blip in game one against Boston. I was expecting a bit of a meltdown from Bucks fans, but Bucks fans were surprisingly confident. So, and they sort of pushed back against the little bit of panic that there was in the in the NBA universe. Uh, so, I thought that was interesting that there was some confidence even when you faced the tiniest bit of adversity, which I, I think was good to see from a from a confidence standpoint uh, in, in the Bucks Bucks fandom. This is again all new territory for for Giannis for this team for the franchise in a way, at with this level of expectation. So that that game one huge learning having, you know, learning great learning for them getting punched in the mouth in game one, great learning how to fight back in game two, great learning um, going on the road then and consolidating that victory going up two one, and even better learning when Boston's absolute backs were to the wall and a ravenous fan base. You know, and and then fighting through it and having the ascendancy of Giannis just it's like the pressure has gotten made him more resilient and made him tougher. And so it's each game we've I've actually believe as a fan, you we're like learning new things about this team as they explore what's possible and they just keep busting through and breaking through kind of new ground, which is so unusual for a Bucks fan. Like they are genuinely ascending Daz, so that's why there's this confidence. Like they just keep getting better, and I, just, I'm almost like Jordan in was that '98. You, you shrug your shoulders after the sixth trip. You're like, I don't know. They just, they just keep going in, Daz. Mm-hmm. They just keep surprising us. Yep. George Hill has outplayed Kyrie Irving. That's not hyperbole. That's not nonsense. That's actually happened. You know, you sort of should go, how I don't know. <laughs> George Hill has outplayed Kyrie. <laughs> so, and then you're, you know, you're grunt a few times, and then consume 10 hours of content just to reinforce your reality so it's uh yeah so that's just the fan perspective it's we were pretty confident because we watched 82 games like we was i wasn't too worried about game one but it just in the same token i'm i'm so pleasantly surprised at the to be able to win game three and game four i would say is no no bucks fan expected that uh, well, i think we quietly expected it but yeah it's 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 brewing, yeah. Well, what we're going to do tonight is look at the big stories from the playoffs so far. Uh, and we're going to start in the east, and then we're going to head out to the west. Uh, and we're staying in the east because I think Milwaukee, in many ways, are the big story at the moment, uh, at least for me, in the way they've looked. Because they've looked the best team in the playoffs thus far. And I think as it shakes out at the moment, I think they're going to be the, the freshest team and the team with the most... Uh, gas in the tank, if you like, when it comes to the conference finals. But just quickly look back on on the first round in the East. It was very disappointing, to say the least. I mean, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, three of the series went 
uh, sorry, two of the series were sweeps. Two of the series were gentlemen sweeps. Uh, the Nets were kind of competitive against the Sixers, but really there was not much, not much uh, chance that this, the Nets were going to win that series. Once they sort of got past Game Three, you felt in that one, despite the Nets taking Game One. So the second round, though, we we sort of expected this was going to be a real dogfight. Uh, started out with uh, Philly Raptors going 2-2. Philly got destroyed today. Everyone's sort of writing them off. I wouldn't be so quick to write Philly off just yet. Uh, there's obviously still a game six in Philadelphia to come there. Uh, but it certainly seems like Milwaukee have gotten on top of Boston after Boston won game one very comfortably by 22 points. Uh, and then Boston... Uh, Milwaukee really, really did uh, come back quite well in the games uh, two, three, and four uh, in that series, Daz. And what's impressed me, I think the big story coming out of it has been the bench play from Milwaukee because uh, Giannis has been very, very good and he was dominant in game four. But it's been the guys like Pat Connaughton, George Hill, etc., um, that have really stepped up. And I think, and I'm going to touch on this a bit further, but I'm interested in your thoughts initially. Like, what, what's, has that been a surprise to you, or is it just been like, yes, this, this is what we saw in the regular season, and I'm, I'm pleased to see it happening in the playoffs as well. So, so a bunch in there. So, uh, yes, it has been the bench um, has absolutely outplayed Boston. I think it was thirty-two to seven. The last game where Gordon Hayward was one for seven, Rozier was one, Hayward was one for five, Rozier was one for five, and Marcus Smart made his return in game four, was one for seven. So they were combined three for 17 with three turnovers and, and about 60 minutes of, of, of listless, um, listless play. Uh, I say listless because Marcus Smart, I thought was going to bring a, a big energy to them. And, you know, he's the, he's the bulldog. He's the fight. He's the guy that would literally, you know, shove Giannis in the chest just to fire him up. And I kind of, Half wanted it, was half inviting it, but he just never, he just never really contributed. It's, which I guess be tough to do after you miss whatever four weeks of play. So yes, the bench has dominated Boston's bench, um, and there was a stretch in Game Four where both middle, Giannis picked up a Boston Garden ridiculous fourth foul early in the third, and a minute later, Chris Middleton picked up a ridiculous Boston Garden fourth foul a minute later in the third, and they both had to sit. For about a combined, Giannis sat for the last eight and a half, Middleton the last seven minutes. In that time, the Bucks went plus nine, and the Boston basically had their starters. And Bucks had yeah, Connaughton. They had a lineup that had played exactly four minutes together the whole season. Daz, and no, no joke, it was Lopez, Miritich, Ilyasova, um, Connaughton, and George Hill. They played exactly four minutes in the regular season, and they went a plus nine in that in that stretch in the third. So. Is it, so you asked the question, is it a surprise that their bench has outplayed Boston's bench? Not entirely. Um, but what's been surprising is who and how. And George Hill seems to have, I don't know, risen from the dead, you know, drink from the fountain of youth, um, got platelet-rich injections in both knees. I, I Honest to God, well, he's springy. Here's what I love about dunk. it. Like, yeah. Buds in the season said, Pat Connaughton needs the reps. He needs minutes. He's part of the rotation every game. George Hill, yep. I trust George Hill. George Hill doesn't need the reps. He'll sit out, we'll sit him out and rest him a few games. We're just going to put him in Cottonwall. Because we didn't see a lot of George Hill in we the didn't. regular season. And you wondered, uh, is he 100%? Like, what's going on there? He didn't seem to be contributing much. Every now and again, he'd come in and play some nice minutes. You go, oh, there's a George Hill cameo. I just think Bud's went, you know what? I, I know I can trust George Hill. 
He's going to be fine in the playoffs. I need minutes into Pat Connaughton, um, into Sterling Brown, into DJ Wilson there. You know, some of those guys haven't played a massive role, but you can guarantee they'll be ready to if they're called upon. Um, and here's the thing that jumped out to me, Daz, and this is what, what really impressed me in that game game four the other day and it made me think back and I've told this story before but I think it's, it's worth repeating you know people wonder why the San Antonio Spurs have had so much success and it always comes back to the Spurs for me as you know this uh, why they've been such a model franchise why Pop's such a great coach and it's the little things right and it's the ability to play 12 guys and have everyone ready to go and I remember game six of the Western Conference Finals in 2014 and Tony Parker got injured in the first half and half time they came out they were down seven against OKC facing a loss in that game and then facing a game seven without Tony Parker likely in a couple of games time no 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 it was Corey Joseph so Corey Corey Joseph had not played a, a competitive minute in the entire playoffs he came out and started the third quarter and all Spurs fans just held their breath and went oh my god how is this going to turn out but because he'd gotten the reps in the regular season, because he came in, and he and this is the key part, he knew his role. He knew exactly what he needed to do. He knew what he needed not to do. Okay, The Spurs turned a seven-point deficit in, into an eight-point lead in the little six-minute span that he played. Right, They go on one game six, and then, of course, they went on and destroyed Miami in the finals. Every chance if they lo- don't win that game six, they lose game seven at home, and we're not talking about another title for the Spurs. Okay, this is where what reminded me of that. So Sterling Brown comes in game one starts hurt, against Boston yeah. was terrible, right? Yeah. Short leash game two came out was terrible again. So he's benched for all intents and purposes. Didn't play game three, or didn't play any meaningful minutes in game three. He came out in the crux of the game in game four with all the foul trouble in the middle of that third quarter. Now, he had two points. He was one of three from the field, a couple of rebounds, right? He was plus 11 in the nine minutes yep. he played in that game. And the moment he came on, he knew his role. He was moving as a team in the defensive scheme, right? And the only reason I knew he was on the court was because when Connerton blocked that three, it went straight to Sterling Brown, who threw the pass down to him. And I said, oh, Sterling Brown's out there. That's nice for him. And then he hit a shot straight after that. But then I, I watched closely how that unit was playing together, and you said, well, they only played four minutes together, and that was, this was a different unit again, but I imagine that would have been a similar scenario. But everyone knew their role. Everyone knew what was going on. Now, contrast that to when Semi Ojale comes in in Game 3 for Boston. Now, Semi Ojale ran around like a chook with his head cut off. Basically, what Brad Stevens said to him was, Go out and try and mark Giannis one-on-one, and we'll see if we can get away with it for 11 minutes. Now, because Boston don't seem to have a scheme that everyone's following, he didn't. He came on, didn't know his role in the offense, didn't know his role in the defense. He was basically the mirror image of Sterling Brown. He was about, well, I think it was even worse than minus 11 in game three. It was minus 11 in nine minutes. Yeah, That's right. Yep. So that, and, yep. <laughs> Exactly, so it was a mirror image. Minus like 11 in nine yep. minutes. Yeah. Sterling Brown plus 11 in nine minutes. Now, they're little snapshots. And people will say, well, that didn't decide the game one way or the other. But Mm. that's organisational structure. That is organisational alignment. And that's what you need to win a championship. Unless you're Golden State and you've got three Hall of Famers. 
of three or four yeah. Hall of Fame players, right? If you don't have that, you need guys to come in and that little... And I mean, you know, Milwaukee won the game by 11. That little nine-minute stretch from Sterling Brown is critical and you can't it overlook... It is huge. It, particularly yep. in the playoffs, you can't overlook the little things. And and that means hooking a guy when very quickly if they're not playing well, but also means having guys ready, whereas if Giannis gets, and, and Bledsoe gets into foul trouble in the middle and doesn't have it going, well, we're just going to throw this guy in and we know... You're not, you don't want 40, 40 minutes out of Sterling Brown, but if you can get eight minutes out of Sterling Brown that, that are positive, that's a big, big boost um, for Milwaukee. And, and that was what made me think, geez, Bud's really got it going on there. And, and there's a massive coaching disparity in that series, and I don't think it's been talked about enough. It's, it is massive disparity. It was it, I could list countless examples of how Baines had been played off the floor and he keeps putting him back in and he keeps getting burned. Yet all the, all the talk before the series was around how Boston was so confident because they thought they could play Brooke Lopez off the floor. What in fact has happened, you even saw it again. You saw it not again, but we saw it probably, if you if I told you that in game four, um, in the 1-5 pick and rolls with Kyrie and Al Horford, and the, the, that Mike Budenholzer, would allow Brooke Lopez to switch onto Kyrie Irving and he hold his own, you would have called me fucking insane. But that's what's happened. So Bud is pulling all the right strings with the guys. He has stuck and stuck and stuck with Ilya Sova. Ursan went through his, right, um, went through his stretch in the season where he went cold and he looked like the Tin Woodsman. You know, a 44-year-old Tin Woodsman at that. And what's happened, he has been rugged. He's drawing charges. He's hitting trailing threes. He's doing all the things that Ursan does, which Bud has known for years that he would do. When, right, we were all, a lot of us were saying, gosh, what's going to happen against Boston? All these rangy wings, all these interchangeable six foot eight players. Why is he going to go with Wooden Ursan versus DJ Wilson? Guess what? Bud is pushing all the right strings and pushing all the right buttons. So the, the, the lineups, the timing of the substitutions, how he's been able to... Miritich hasn't been great. He hasn't been hot. But Miritich's presence, right, as he demands your attention from 30 feet out. And so having letting Nico still get run, even though he goes three for 10, you know, some games. And, and Nico, after, in the locker room afterwards, quite buoyant. It's like, I did my role. Shots didn't go in today. But he's so confident in the process because he's doing the right things. And his coaches reinforce, you're doing exactly the right things the shot will fall. There's just the entire team is brimming with confidence, both as individuals and as units as, that have played together a long time, even as units, like I said, this crazy Lopez, Ilyasova, um, Miritich, George Hill, uh, Pat Connaughton unit. <laughs> like that ragtag, ragamuffin, random, like NBA random name generator list of players, right? Bud has them playing the, playing the right way. And so this is going to be interesting, Daz. And we talked about this um, last year when it was Toronto with the deepest bench in the league. You know, we were contemplating if they played, you know, Houston in the finals. You know, what's going to what's going to win out Mike D'Antoni's six-man rotation or, you know, um, Dwayne Casey's, you know, 10-man deep. And we might be seeing the same thing here as, as we pivot into probably other Eastern teams where Philadelphia's bench is abysmal. And Toronto's bench is abysmal, abysmal. 
Like, and so what's going to win out here, right? The dominant starting fives um, or the, the eight, nine, ten men sort of rotations. And that, for me, is going to be the interesting thing is, again, assuming the 96% chance that the Bucks close out Boston um, in this series and advance the final, Eastern Conference Finals will be this this dialogue will doubt will be going raging again. Can Bud keep Giannis's minutes down? And, you know, is he being defiant and is he being stupid and only playing him 32 minutes a game? And, oh, how can you win with Pat Connaughton? So we'll, I'm sure we'll have all that conversation again if they get to the next round. But, um, but again, you, you will tell me differently. You, you have all the history behind you with the, with the Spurs is does this model win deep into the playoffs? And I guess we'll, well, what, bring, what wins yeah. deep in the playoffs is defense, and that lineup you just spoke about, it was, point. it was defense that got that team the run. It wasn't like they were Good running point. those crisp offensive sets. I mean, Boston didn't score for 16 straight possessions. 16 straight possessions ended in a missed shot game three. or a yep. turnover. Yep. Right? Oh, yep. Sorry, that was game three, wasn't it? Game four was a different difference, but it was still the same sort of scenario where it was certainly Very on the similar. defensive end yep. where they were getting the turnovers, forcing the stops. Um, and, and that again, that comes down to knowing your role and being part of a defensive scheme. Um, and, I, and I imagine there's an offensive scheme there when Giannis isn't on the floor versus when Giannis is on the floor. And the other big, the, obviously the big adjustment such that was, was bringing Miritic into that starting line because they're playing five feet off Sterling Brown in game one. They're there, they've, they've got a mark. Uh, Miritich exactly out to right. 30 feet that opened up the driving lanes for Giannis then they went to plan B which was basically just the old hacker shack that uh, Phil Jackson used to use I mean they used to say to Phil Jackson you've got Bill Winnington and Luke Longley what do you expect them to give you against Shaq and he said, used to say 12 hard fouls and I think yeah. that's what Brad Stevens was sort of saying if, if this guy gets anywhere near the bucket it's a 100% chance he's going to get two unless you foul him hard Let's send him to the line, and that's a seventy percent chance, you know, yeah. um, of scoring. That's right. So he played the percentages, but at the end of the day, I don't think that's the the optimal way to um, to defend yards. I mean, it's very very difficult to defend the guy. Um, but my, I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, we haven't even talked about him yet. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. let's talk about defending yards because I've got a my theory is set up the wall. On, set up a wall of even four players on the side that he's on and just live with some open threes from some of the other guys. Like, just say, I want to see Miritich do it. I want to see Middleton do it. I want to see Bledsoe do it. Because if you just guard this guy one-on-one, he's just either going to live at the three-throw line or he's going to be scoring 40 points. So let me, this is the thing, Daz, and this is what we talked about about Bucks fans in, in December, January, February, March, is that, um, when they got the number one ranked defense and number ranked three offense, that's that's one thing. Second thing is that on in game, let me try and pull up the stats here. Uh, I probably won't find it quick enough, but in game three, the Bucks shot something like forty percent from deep. Right, they hit like it's a eighteen out of forty. Right, they hit a, they shot a lot of threes and made a lot of threes, and that's when they just blitzed him and ran him off the floor. Right, and won the game you know pretty comfortably in double digits. I'm oh, sorry that Boston made that crazy, bizarro, 17 free throws in the last six minutes as the team who's behind, and so the game looked a lot closer in the end than it was uh, actually ultimately. But so the Bucks were hot from three in, in game three, right, and blitzed them and shot 40 percent. What happened in game four, Daz? They were eight for 37, shot basically just over 20 percent, 22 percent, or something like that. 
right, and still won by double digits. So I go, they got a team who, to your point, I go, when they get hot from three, they're deadly. When they're not hot from three, in fact, ice cold from three. Middleton was four for 19 for the game. Miritich was was three for 10. Bledsoe missed all four of his triples. They were ice cold from downtown. What happens? They win comfortably. How do they do that? Because, well, a little bit of Bledsoe. He was six for eight from two-point land, so he was picked his um, eight chances and sliced through the defense and had great finishes, which was nice to see. And then Giannis. So your point was, how do you defend him? You step, put the wall back. But what that's been happening is that worked for one game, and then Giannis is so Giannis-y, he's so strong and so tall and so Euro-steppy, left, right, right, left, left all the way, right all the way, start left, spin right, start right, spin left, dunk with the left. Like, he just got the, right, he's got Magic Johnson-y point guard-like skills in a, quote, Shaq-like kind of interior dominance dash. So you, you pull the wall back, and what's been happening is he gets a running start. When he gets a running start, now he can see players in both corners so he's got you know george hill in one corner and what's presumed to be malcolm brogdon in the other corner or nico miritich or brooke lopez up at the you know above the above the break and he had eight of his assists in game of game four seven of his eight assists were for three pointers all right so i go pick your poison so that's that's what's happening is they've they figured out Boston. There's nothing Boston can do. Ice cold from three, they'll beat you inside. If they can't beat you inside, we'll try to, you know, shoot from deep. And or what happened in game two, Giannis got fouled 22 times and made 16 of them. So he just pounded and pounded and pounded into the wall. So unless you start shooting Shaq-like percentages, you know, like 50% from the line, I think it's a, you know, you're going to have to hope the Bucks miss their threes is probably your best bet. Well, that is the bet. Um, that's percentage-wise, percentage I think that's your best bet. to just Because they're going to have games where they're not playing. But you better have a bloody rim. I guess you better have Marcus Saul on his absolute apex game, and you better have Serge Ibaka on his apex game, and you better have 100% Joel Embiid. Well, you've got to you stop him dead. driving. You set up the wall as, as high up as you can, and it's really, he gets past one player, he's got another player straight in front of him. Like That's, that's, that's how it sort of needs to be. And then, obviously, yep. he's going to find open men. There's no question. I mean, again, it's pick your poison. So yep. he's going to find an open George Hill. And you've got to hope George Hill doesn't hit the shots. Or again, the game, the game, Chris Middleton, game, game two and game three, Middleton was shooting pull-up threes. Like Middleton can get in those zones, right? He said like, up until game four, I think he was still like the, literally the highest in NBA history with like I don't know some tiny number of attempts, but just shooting darts, he's shooting fifty percent from downtown, and so he just shoot over the top of the of the defense to start to break it down and soften it up again. So they got enough of those guys, the Brogdon, the Hill, the. Brogdon comes back, right? Heck, Brook Lopez has hit a couple of huge threes to to break runs. So, look, that. But I'm I'm rambling and just giving. That's just how the Bucks have been winning, right? As they can win inside dominantly. They dominated the paint, 74 points in the paint in Game Four. To have 74 of their 113. They were so close. Well, that's because downtown. I think Boston went back to more of a one-on-one. Style. Of, well, that's how it's they seemed, certainly they, seemed. That's, they did, and they he just broke their spirit in the end. Like he, he did, was yeah. just he was he got like I think three end ones in the last quarter, and then they just gave up trying to foul him. And he just that's yeah, when he said, did. "Okay, now I'm just going to dunk on your collective heads." He had a beautiful <laughs> dunk on Tatum, and then uh, Bledsoe. Did you like Bledsoe's 
um, uh, <laughs> exercising his demons yeah. by that brilliant block yeah. Um, yeah. on uh, on Tatum. And then there was another Giannis dunk after that. It was just like, this is just unfair. Like, stop the fight. <laughs> I felt like the, the Apollo's so, trainer in Rocky Four. So stop great. the fight. It was, it was so great for the Boston fans to sit through that and watch them boo their team off the court and have Kyrie leave early. So I got to say that was one of the most enjoyable, well, most let's, enjoyable games. Let's yeah. move so, over to the other side of the equation. So you said uh, Milwaukee ninety six percent chance. I'd say it's ninety nine point nine nine percent. I mean, I just cannot see a scenario other than the three or four times, players I'm getting injured. Ten times, ten times out of two hundred and sixty eight, I think it is ten times in NBA history. Teams come back from 3-1. Yeah, but not this time. I mean, I've seen teams come back from 3-1, and I don't think it's ever surprised me, the team that's come back from 3-1. This would shock me, because this is exactly what we we feared we'd see with Boston. I mean, my thinking with Boston was maybe there's a little bit of calves about them in terms of they were the sleeping giant, or they're not a sleeping giant. I think they thought they were a sleeping giant, particularly after game one. They're just sleeping. They're just... I don't even think they're sleeping, does it? I don't think they're that good. They're Kyrie Irving... Yeah. Well, they're finding out where their ceiling is when Kyrie Irving's your best player. And it's probably the second round of playoffs and the top four seed. And that's it. Okay? Um, I, yeah. And I said this yeah. to you at the start of the season, Daz, and I'm going to give myself a wrap here. I said, when this season's finished, don't be surprised if Boston let this guy walk. And the Boston are the ones yeah. going... Now, I think it's probably going to be a mutual decision to walk to part ways to be honest but if you're Danny Ainge are you seriously going to sit there and go we want to bring this guy back you can't offer him a super max you can't he'll get all NBA again right he's already he probably is already eligible isn't he for yeah the the top yeah of course he is yeah yeah I just that's a great question I even haven't even thought about that as what Wayne's actually do do you (laughs) geez right do you have to pull the, the Cleveland Kevin Love? Do you have to sign him to the deal to make him a trade asset? And if you're Kyrie, would you even take it? God, it's all in Kyrie's court, basically, isn't it, really? It's all in Well, his. who else is going to be offering Kyrie? Big the Knicks. I think that's it. I think, honestly, it's going to be a Knicks. Maybe the Lakers. Lakers will be desperate. Knicks, Lakers, and uh, and the Celtics. I actually think he's favorite to go to the Lakers. That There's my pick. I think you'll go to the Lakers because who else are the yeah. Lakers signing? Well, we'll have plenty of time to contemplate so, that. But can you that, imagine him, him and Ty Lue and, and <laughs> they get our gangs LeBron. back together? Goodness <laughs> gracious! That so, I I could never say never. I can't I can't believe he'd eat that much humble pie and go back and be, oh, be bat uh, be Robin to Batman again. I just can't. Well, oh, you never know. I they smoked the peace pipe earlier. He, he is a weirdo. He's a weirdo. He is, but yeah, it is. If you listen to every, the Boston Globe, Bill Simmons, <laughs> the Ringer guys, you know, you listen to the post game conference. You listen to other players. And what did you say, Jalen? Well, Jalen Rose said uh, this will be his last game in Boston, and his teammates will pack his bag for him. After yeah, the next you can game tell that team Milwaukee. doesn't have unity. That's that's for sure. So that's well, I the, said to you after game three, I said this is a team that's ready to quit. You can see it in, in their body language. You can see it. And the, and the pointing of fingers and the shrugging of shoulders at, after every Mr. Simon on the defensive end. This was a team that's ready to quit. 
they quit in game yeah. four, and I think they're just they're ready to, for the Bahamas in after game five. Um, <laughs> let's move to the other series. A lot of people are writing this other series off. I'm not so quick to write Philly off at the moment. I think Philly punted the game today. I mean, why they even played Joel Embiid, I'm not sure. No, I'm not they sure. were not really competitive at any stage. Um, they looked a bit disengaged. I think Portland were pretty much the same against Denver. We'll get to that series a bit later. I think at some point in a 2-2 series, you often see these Game 5s be blowouts and, and the away team just goes, you know what, we'll try, we'll take our chances in Game 7. Um, we're not going to be too worried about Game 5. Uh, and I think that's what happened, particularly once it, it gets a little bit away from them early, which this one did. Assuming it's, it's the Raptors, I mean... It, have you seen anything from this series or from the Raptors that gives you a pause as a Bucks fan to think, well, oh, this is the team that, that might bother us? I, uh, I didn't watch. Five? I didn't watch any of Game Five, so I didn't watch this this blowout. But it sounds like it really. I don't know, there's a lot to learn from this contest, no, other than no. that Siakam played well again. But yeah, so what I've seen, right? So what I what I've seen from Philadelphia is again exactly what I saw when the Bucks blitzed them in in late in the season. Is that that? If J.J. Redick isn't firing and if if Ben Simmons doesn't have some irrational confidence going, that I just there's just nothing about this team that, that strikes fear in me, is that they have so many redundant players. Right? I kind of go, they've, they've signed, to, they gave up all these assets to get Tobias Harris, and what's Tobias Harris? He's playing like a, he's almost playing like a Sterling Brown or Sonny Ilyasova type role. He's playing the fourth man in this in this sort of team and I go, you know, that's, it's overkill. So he's, you know, the, all the um, expressiveness and freedom and playmaking and secondary playmaking and initiating. You saw him play in, in LA early in the year, what made him so attractive, right. And playing off of Gallo, the shooter, you know, kind of go all that sort of stuff. He just doesn't have it because he, one, he doesn't have the ball. And two, when he's the, just the offense that, that Brett Brown has to run number one and number two with the talent he has with Ben Simmons, basically, if he doesn't have the ball at the top of the key passing it, he's standing off to the side, hoping it doesn't come back to him. It's like, where's Harris going to go? And so just the, just the convoluted way Philadelphia plays. We thought Simmons and Embiid was a bad enough matchup, bad enough sort of match uh, from a style perspective. It hasn't gotten any better, Daz. It hasn't gotten any better. So I just, there's nothing about Philadelphia that tells me that they can win, string together four wins out of seven. So I just see, I see discombobulated Philadelphia. That being said, when the dog, sh- the sun shines in the dog's ass and Joel Embiid is, is fit and playing 35 minutes and he's springy and, and they're letting Jimmy Butler be alpha dog, that's a good team. That's a good one-two punch, man. That's a team that can win any given Sunday um, when Embiid and Butler are our apex and you just, you know, push push Ben Simmons back into the Andre Miller role, right? Just off the side, just pass the ball and stand over there and then play some hard defense, um, be a decoy. Um, so nothing worries me about Philadelphia. Toronto, I guess, has more more promise because Kawhi has been pretty consistently awesome. Um, proof positive that, A, he's not hurt. If he's not hurt, he's exaggerating that he is hurt and he's just sort of used this year to quit on his team to not play 30 games just to, I don't know, to maybe, you know, try to get his paycheck maximized Well, I think that's playoffs, an interesting point. I mean, quite just quickly on that. I mean, this, this is a guy he's that's probably going to play. He's looked great. But yeah. are you happy with a guy that you think, this guy's probably going to play 62 games, but he's going to be awesome. 
once we get to the playoffs. I mean, yeah. there, there's Hell a yes. heck of a lot of value. Yeah. I'll take that over yeah. a guy that's so going to give I. you 82 yep. great regular season games and be just so-so in the playoffs. So, Like Ross Westbrook? <laughs> or, well, like, dare I say it, like DeMar DeRozan. I mean, you know, DeRozan had... Oh, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think he you'd does. argue he had a better regular season than Kawhi, but he certainly played more games. Um you Great know, teammate, and, played good games. Yeah, you, know, you wouldn't yeah, criticise yeah. what he did in the regular season mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. But he certainly un- underwhelmed again come playoff time, whereas Kawhi's just gone to another level. Yeah. Defensively, the defensive intensity is really what's, what's popped off the screen to me. Um, you know, the ISO ball, look, uh, I, I never get too excited about it, and I think, I think there's going to be a time when it comes back and bites Toronto a little bit, to be honest. Um because I think it, that that's all they have almost when he's on the on the court. It's just Kawhi Isos. It's like not not necessarily picking yeah. the moment. That's that's yeah. Billy's. What I would say about them is, I think Philly's playing them into form a little bit, and I think I I saw some confidence today in Van Vliet, in Kyle Lowry, uh, Siakam has been playing well anyway. Um, even Ibaka, like guys that hadn't looked all that confident earlier in this series starting to find their confidence. If they come out and blow Philly off the court in Game 6, I'd have an eyebrow raised if I'm the Bucks. But if this one goes Game 7 and they, they sort of get the business done, I think in the end, the the system and, and the, the, the consistency of Milwaukee is going to beat the sort of up-and-down nature of what we've seen from Toronto thus far. Um, because I, that, that's one thing you want in the playoffs, is just that consistency. Toronto, I, I think Toronto is, is a legitimate foe. Um, they're legitimate if Kawhi can play his 40 minutes and mm. if Marcus Saul is on his A game. Again, again, we sort of theorized theorized Al Horford being on his apex game, and that hasn't fucking mattered. He's been obliterated by Yana. So again, the theory of the combination of a long um, Ibaka, Siakam, Gasol, and then obviously the ruggedness and doggedness of Kawhi, in theory, can play um, a huge part against you know slowing down Giannis. But then I go at the same token, this is where Eric Bledsoe was absolutely dynamic, and he destroyed um, Lowry and Fred Van Vliet. FVV in the regular season in their matchups, and so that Giannis could then be playing off of Bledsoe and cutting in alley-oop, and he, Giannis being the um, the pick man, right? The pick, he being setting the picks and rolling and creating new space and new angles, and then opening up the three-point shooting. So the Bucks have styles already built into counter when Giannis gets bottled up by the by the length that we've seen work very successfully. So the gaping weakness that is Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet is a, I can't say Fred's name, Fred <laughs> Van Vliet, FVV, yeah. He's who's also been terrible, man. He's been Sterling Brown. Well, he was here, better today. Been, that's why I say he. If he gets hard his not confidence to be better when back, you win by forty. Well, that's what yeah. I'm saying though. If he but gets he his confidence defend, and form back, he can't defend anybody. Well, that, that's yeah. not going to change. So George Hill and. That's not going to change. So I go, that's that's the, the little chess match. So I think on paper, um, I think I said it before the playoffs, that Toronto for me was the, the sternest test only because they can so physically match up against the – that's been, been so interesting. Like Boston likes to play small, and mm-hmm. Bud likes to say, fuck that, I'm not playing – I'm not going to do this shit Giannis at center. I'm letting him play his role 
they signed all the high-end jumbo lamps, and you know, Giannis next to you know Lopez, Luis Silva, or Nico Miritich play jumbo. Because guess what? We can play jumbo, which means we can defend the rim, and we can rebound, and we can still shoot threes. Now, what are you going to do? <laughs> what's your what's your Toronto matchup so interestingly because it's so almost a mirror image, and so it's gonna, for me it comes down to them the point guard play. And, and that can be an advantage. I'm not worried about Philadelphia, I'll be honest. I'll call it their injuries, their, their lack of cohesion, their lack of depth. Uh, ben Simmons is an embarrassment to number one draft picks playing in the postseason. I don't know what is going on in that kid's head, but he's the wrong team or the wrong advice to the wrong developers to be just so non-impactful game in, game out is not good for him or his career. Not Philadelphia scares me over seven games. Um, but Toronto's Toronto's legit. I think they're legit. They'll have depth problems um, potentially if they get any foul trouble, and their point guard, the, the point of attack defense, is going to be a problem. So um, yep. we'll see. I think but that's I think fair. I mean, I, I hope it's. I yeah, think it will think be Toronto. I, I don't think Philly will win, but I, I do think Philly. I, I, I think Philly will win Game Six. I think it will go Seven, and I think Toronto will win um, Game Seven in Toronto. Okay. I think we overreact sometimes to these big blowouts, and you go, "Oh, that, that series is over." Well, it's going to go back to Philly now. I think Philly will 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 steady. I think they'll win Game Six, but uh, I can't see them winning another game in uh, in Toronto. Uh, for Game Seven, so and and I'd look forward to that series. Yeah. I mean, Toronto and Milwaukee being the two best teams, arguably in the NBA days, uh, certainly record-wise, they were the two best teams in the NBA across the regular season, and and they've they've both played really well. Uh, I think Milwaukee a little bit better, but albeit against probably inferior opponents than what yeah. uh, than what the Raptors have faced thus far, um, because even you know, Orlando I guess that's still... far better than Detroit. Let me ask you. I'll ask you a random question. If you had a uh, how would you rank the top four teams in the league right now? Top four teams. Who's one, two, three, four? Well, Denver's clearly one for me uh, because they beat the Denver Spurs. Denver one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. I, I mean, <laughs> at the moment, I still think it's Golden State, Houston, one, two, then uh, then Milwaukee, then Toronto. That, that's how I'd, I'd so think at put, the moment. you'd put money on Houston over the Bucks in the seven-game series? Uh, I'd have to see what, what they did in the Western Conference Finals, Houston. I'd, have to, I'd want to see what they... If they went in and, and beat either Denver or Portland, and assumably it'll be Denver, uh, if they beat Denver comfortably, and Milwaukee, I think, would be a much more of a, a war of attrition against Toronto, I'd then if they could get a little bit of rest before they went into the finals. And, and the finals are a different well, beast too, because not that's every other point. game in the finals. So I think I think Houston's biggest banana skin is actually going to be the Western Conference Finals if they get past Golden State, because when you climb the mountain, and I remember this happened with Steve Nash, and, and Phoenix finally beat San Antonio, and went in against what most people thought was an inferior Lakers team in the Western Conference Finals, and they lost in six games. So it can happen that you finally get over the mountain, and you finally beat that foe that you've been wanting to beat, and then you sort of find, oh, we're, we're running out of the gas a bit, and they won't have home court advantage either against either Portland or Denver. So to me, that's more of the banana skin than, than potentially what uh, what the NBA Finals will be. Um, but we'll wait and see on that. I mean, I, I don't think there's a massive gap between the two, but I lean a little bit towards Houston at the moment over um, over Milwaukee. How would you have it? Would you have Golden State still won? I mean, 
I, I can't move them from number one, even though I'm when I when I watch what I've seen of them and against Houston, all four games is Golden State's bench is shorter than ever. Um, that that's a factor. That still doesn't make me worry because they got all those Hall of Famers. And Iguodala looks awesome. Iggy, Iggy's back, Daz. It's like the well, something to watch. He tweaked his man. knee. He tweaked his knee oh, at the end he? of Game Five. Uh, sorry, Game Four. So that's oh. something to just eyebrow raised. Oh. Let's see he's, if he's one hundred percent. He's been their George Hill. He's been he's been excellent. He's been fountain of youth. But yes, I I'd go. I would still put a Bucks ahead of Houston only because of what I saw the Bucks do to them twice in the regular season. And I think the Bucks are better than when they played Houston um, back then. Is Houston better than they probably than they were? Yeah, maybe their Houston's a bit more confident back then. But I just think the um, I think with the the Harden not drawing twenty two fouls a game um, with the step back threes, I, I, Milwaukee. It, slight edge over Houston, but mm. it's close. Okay. It's close because again the range of outcomes is so so great if especially if Gordon's playing well. But anyway, mm. I digress. I'm not worried about Philadelphia to finish all these, not at all. I think they'll uh they got a unbelievable we're gonna talk no doubt hours about them in the off season about what's gonna happen. Yeah. I think they're finished and everything from the general manager to the coach to the philosophy, the scheme, the process, the assets, Markel Fultz, it's just an absolute cauldron of of churn there, which is drama, which makes stuff interesting. But I think it's Bucks Toronto, and um, yeah, um, let's talk about talk about the West, I guess. Well, let's talk about the West. This is the 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 big story to me. I think there's two big stories, and well, three if you like. But I think two of the big stories are two individual players, and that's Kevin Durant and Nikola Jokic. I want to talk about KD. That's listen to these stats: thirty five point four points a game, ninety percent from the three-throw line, 58% from the field, 43% from three. He's just, I mean, for a guy, and, and this hurts me to say, because I've long been on the, I think Steph's better than KD, bandwagon, this is Steph's team, and all this sort of stuff. It's been a bad series for those trying to make that argument, because Kevin Durant's put this team on his back in large part. And Steph hasn't played terribly. I think his struggles have been a little bit overblown, but... If Kevin Durant wasn't there, they'd be in a deep hole, I think, in this series against Houston. They arguably wouldn't have gotten past Clippers in round one, which who took them to six games. He's just been a monster. I mean, this has been like, this has been LeBron-like, what we saw from LeBron last year, in my opinion. It's just, he hasn't hit the sort of game-winning shots that LeBron had to hit to get that horrible Cleveland team over the line in some of those uh, playoff games. But he's just been... Absolutely immense, I, and I, we knew he was a great player, and people said he's the best player in the game heading into this. As much as I think it's Giannis's league now, I think this guy's making a claim that I'm I'm the best player in the game at the moment. He, what he's done in the playoffs so far has just been immense, and I've got a hot take for you at the end of this. But I, I think I'm interested in your take. I mean, have you seen much of Durant in these playoffs? And are you sort of in awe the same way that I am of, of the offensive game? I watched, putting I, forward? It's, it's, I watched game one. Um, I haven't watched the full games there. I've, I've watched highlights so I could at least be conversant um, to see, just to put some of the, to the film and some of the plays and some of the sets behind the stats I've seen. Um, and sort of marry that up with all the hearing about right, some of the reports about the games. But 
Um, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that um, that uh, I can't argue with anything you just said. Firstly, secondly, he's, what did you do? Fifty forty ninety. Is that basically what you said? He's yeah, 43, 58, just, just on 59% from the field and 90% from the line, yep. Yeah, 50, 40, 90, so 50, 40, 90, from, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, KD, well, I, I think where, what's interesting is that um, two two things about just KD versus, I guess, let's call it Giannis Fermin for whose league is, Giannis is still 24 in the sending and he's like this, right? The, the, the giant who's just funky he is. I think I told you even before game four, I, I just hunched that I think we might have to star become a superstar today if things fall right, and indeed that's what happened. And so we've got that, it's still this meteoric rise. He's, you know, 20, age 24 and all this newness about yep. Giannis, plus his scintillating defense, plus the fact he's this likable character, plus the fact he's, the, he's this anchor um, good guy, citizen, leader of the franchise, leader of the team, leader of the clubhouse sort of stuff, right? Kevin Durant is none of those things. He's a petulant, angry, um, confusing, depressed, uh, sensitive, um, emotive, um, kind of a dickhead that nobody likes. He's fucking miserable. He's not a leader, but my God, between the, between the lines, right, he can kind of do everything. So he doesn't have nearly Giannis's uh, abilities around the rim, but Giannis doesn't, doesn't have anywhere his universe of abilities, you know, between 17 and 27 feet, right? The way he can just dominate and rise up and have a, you know, a stroke that's as beautiful as, as you know, Dirk Nowitzki's from, from long range. And, um, yeah, he, again, he can shoot from anywhere. And so it's hard to argue against his, um, his playoff performance, especially... You know, with a you know a team like Houston, who seem to be, and despite all the churn and all the craziness that happened to their roster, pretty well engineered to at least be a foil to how Golden State plays, and have completely disrupted, they disrupted dominance anyway from from Golden State. So, well, this is peak. So question, I mean, that, that's the thing I, I would say. This Giannis is, is star is ascending, and I think we're seeing him, you know, grow into the superstar that's going to take over Lou. But this is peak. Apex Kevin Durant now what we're seeing and and you know, whether it's going to sustain the next two or three years I doubt it but Again, what I, we're seeing I, I is and I thought we saw it to some extent last year with LeBron where that was just the apex of of how good he can play I think that's what we're seeing with Durant at the moment. So it's an interesting question. So if you imagined you know if you actually were just putting money on it right yeah. imagine putting. An inordinate amount of money that would make your, you know, make your household, you know, strained if you lost the bet, and you had to assemble your best team, you know, for for an NBA Finals run, right? Just with the players remaining in the playoffs, would you, who would you start your team with? Would you start it with, you know, Harden, Kawhi, Durant, or Giannis, or LMB, I guess? But it's hard to kind of go. Would I put my money on Giannis or Durant? Um, if you had the number one pick, where, I'd go where, where Durant. At the moment, I think I'd go Durant. The word Durant, where, so if I think about, so he is, he's much. I think I think I would too. Um, where I would might lean to Giannis is when shit gets hard, right? When shit gets hard, or you hit you hit a brick wall. Do I trust Kevin Durant to, you know, to you know, to be a teammate and to work through that stuff, or is he just going to revert to hero ball? That's what I guess is starting to sort of get me about him, as he's kind of Kyrie like. 
It's just not, he's not a leader of men. He's a scintillating individual talent, but he's not a leader of men. So, but yeah, I think I probably would, if money was on the line, I probably would have to pick Durant as well. If you need some guy to score 40 points and just win you a, win you one game, I've got Durant. Maybe if he said win, win seven, I might take Giannis, but. Um, well, the two things I mean, a rabbit hole, but if but he's, they, been, he's been spectacular. If they win the title this year, I mean, this is very much going to be his title and his team in terms of who the best player is. I mean, there'll always be Steph's team, I think, spiritually, and from a leadership point of view, it's probably more Draymond. <clears throat> if you're talking about that side of it, Draymond and Steve Kerr, but um, from a yeah, who was the best player? Undoubtedly, this is going to be Durant. Um, almost from go the woe this season. And I actually think he's more likely to stay now, Daz, than leave um, because of what we're seeing in the playoffs. I think he's getting that monkey off his back. And I think that probably makes him more likely to stay and see just how many times because it's going to be a real mountain to climb for them to win another title next year um, to go four in a row, which, I mean, now you're talking real rarefied air of, you know, when was the last time a team won four titles in a row? Bill Russell. You're talking the Russell era. So that's, you know... That's I, the only team ever to win four in a row. Yeah, yeah so if they yeah. win three in a row, this might be a, you know what, we can chase history, come back and run it back for one more. You know, you're really going to be excited about going to New York Knicks and that horrendous roster and maybe play of Kyrie. Really? I, yeah, I guess. Well, this is your team I'm, now. And I, I think just, even I, the I, fans are going to embrace him more because of what he's done in this playoffs. Especially in the era of the podcast, as we just have way too much uh, digital history recorded about the actual context, the actual process, um, how it played out in terms of uh, both the team experience, the fan experience. We just have way too much recorded and and emblazoned in our memory about, you know, the fact um, this guy joined a 73-win team. And I just sort of go, that will always, and just no matter how many he wins, nothing is going to change that. I go, okay, let's rub up Giannis's contract, and Giannis goes, takes Draymond's role, and Giannis goes, wins five titles with that team. I go, just each subsequent ridiculousness, um, tilting of the scales, superstar added to the already irregularly perfect team is just it it betrays the spirit of competition so history will remember this very very vividly then after he wins three or four or five in a row it's like yeah gigantic asterisk and no one cares right like we'd rather have the upstart um out of nowhere dirk vitsky unlikeliest craziest couldn't repeat the success but you know scintillating all about dirk and that unbelievable, you know, um, uh, championship that he won, right? I got, does would he trade for three with Golden State? I don't know, I don't know. But I guess well, that's that's the legacy why Kevin Durant's so enigmatic and such a dickhead is that well, he's kind of robbed us of this awesome, this awesome team of Golden State and just tilted the scales so much that that I guess yep, he is spectacular, and I just all of me, my entire essence of me sort of says, you know what? How fucking hard is it to be spectacular when you play next to Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and Draymond Green? It's and it's not nearly as hard to be spectacular as it is when LeBron's playing next to those clowns, Giannis next to his guys. Hell, James Harden 
next to his guys. Put James Harden next to Steph and Clay Thompson and watch what he does. So I kind of go, this gets me fired up. Is like you cannot look at a human being in isolation. Basketball is such a co-dynamic sport, so codependent, so synergistic, that to say he is singularly so awesome is like just such a false, dumb narrative. Like, yes, he's been great, but you can't factor out for his teammates. Anyone would be better surrounded by Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Everyone would be better. And so I kind of go, yeah, well done, but fucking... <laughs> The easiest job description in the league for a former MVP, play next to Steph and Clay and Draymond. So, yeah, now you've got me arguing against you, Daz. Well, no, it's I think, not, I think the, narrative, the narrative will change. Yeah. I mean, it, you can sit there and say Asterix against the first couple. Well, I think once you get into the, if you win four and five, I think that's when the mountain, it, it does become much more I just difficult. don't, I just disagree. You, because Draymond's you, not the same you know, player. You Clay's know the not answer. playing well. If you, you play next to Austin Rivers, Eric Gordon, Clint Capella, and PJ Tucker, you play next to those four. Is that easier or harder than well, playing next to Well, it might be easier Steph. for James Harden because he doesn't want to pass the ball. So oh. that, that plays into his strengths. To have those players around him, so you know, I, I think it's a, I think it's a different, it's a horses for courses. I mean, there's no question Houston have, are the only team thus far that have come up with a style that has really given Golden State problems, and I mean that's what we're seeing again in this series. Um, whether they're going to be good enough to get to take it all the way, I'm not convinced. I still think Golden State will see this one out. Um, I actually think Golden State will probably see that in six games. To be I, my point here's my point, right? Is and you, you might argue against this. I go, I'm the job description guy. I'm the context person. I'm the, about what is being asked of you, and I hate everything about he how he plays. I hate the, the, the mentality he plays with, which is not to try to beat your man, it's try to cheat. Right? I hate everything about how James Harden plays, but there's I is so unequivocal. His job description is so much harder than Kevin Durant's job description. And so that's where I do give the guy a break, because what he is asked to do is so much more difficult than what Kevin has to do for his context, for his team, for his job description, just like you have a job. I have, everyone has different jobs for their companies, right? I go, Kev, J, Kevin Durant's job description is so bleep and easy. That's why the world will never, ever give him the credit. Is he, took, he took the cashier's job, right, at Amazon, not the Jeff Bezos role. He took, he's just, yeah, he's the guy in the distribution center flying the drones. woo you know, he, it's, he took the easy job. So well, I think I he took I, the easy job. I, I would argue it's not, an easy, not as easy a job as you're making it to be now. I mean, averaging 35 points a game, I don't care who else is on the floor with you. I mean, that, that, that's, that, you know, that, that puts you up there with, with the best of the best. And, and honestly, I think he's been the best player so far in the playoffs. You know, Steph hasn't been the same player that he's been in the past. Clay's not playing anywhere near as well as he's played. Draymond's not the same player that he was. Their bench sucks. I mean, yes... On paper, they're still, and certainly that that Hamptons five, which I nearly throw up my mouth every time people say that the Hamptons talk about the Hamptons five, but that that five man unit is still better than any other five man unit you're going to see by some margin. But I, I would I would push back on the oh his his job description is so much easier. I mean I think in year one yes, in year two lesser so, and in year three even less than that. And I think 
he probably sees in the opportunity, if they're going to win titles four and five, that I'm going to be the one putting the sturm on my back and, and winning those titles. And that gives him the legacy that he craves. Whereas I don't, he's not going to be doing that in New York. I, I don't know what he craves. I don't, I actually kind of, don't I think he does. He I think he, he looks a, back and craves he, the recognition. He wants and he's to be getting the recognition this playoffs. And I think he see, he will mm-hmm. see if we win titles four and five, that'll, but, but I'll you, get the recognition for those but, ones. So then follow, follow me through. <laughs> he will this recognition be the same recognition that Dirk got in Dallas, that LeBron got in Miami, that LeBron got in Cleveland, that right that stuff got in Golden State without him. Is that recognition at the same recognition as the same superstars who've won the last seven titles? But what recognition is he going to get in New York? Recognition I'm for just what? asking the, about the titles. Like, I'm just challenging. I, I just don't think... But uh, what's, the counter, the what's the counter offer for him? This is what I'm saying. Like, I was talking about this season, right? This I season, I think, the, yes, it's not going to be I, the same. But no. I think he will think, with some justification, if they can win titles four and five with an ageing Steph Curry with an ageing Draymond, who even knows if Draymond will even be there, and Clay Thompson, who, who's, as I say, doesn't seem to be playing the same player this year, whether there's injuries or something there, I'm not sure. That's where the recognition will come in, and that's where the degree of difficulty will be raised, and people can say, you know what, the first two titles, of course, they should have won. The third title, they'll push almost every series, and then it becomes more difficult in seasons four and five, so and that's where you, he can what, look at it and say, be, that's a mountain let, to climb now. Let, you, let me give you two outcomes. What's going to be remembered better, uh, more fondly by history? If Kevin Durant wins this title this year, or Giannis Antetokounmpo does? Well, Giannis, clearly. There you go. There's your answer. Right? When you take a team and lead them and, and lift you're, everyone I'm around talking, you. You're, you're missing my point. My point is, I think he's more likely to stay in Golden State now than to leave. That's your point. That's winner, my point. Win, I'm not saying lose. let's let's all bow winner down lose. at the altar. Uh, win. I think if they win, he's more more he'll likely stay. to come back and stay. I think if they lose, he'll be out. They'll, they'll implode. I think he'll go. You reckon? There's my there's my I hot just, take I, on that. I, I think he's gone no matter what because he's just so miserable. But like he's going to be miserable just... anywhere. Do you? He's he's going to be happy in New York with Kyrie. Maybe he'll be miserable. Was he was he miserable in Oklahoma as well? I think winning winning solves everything, and I think when they're sitting around drinking the champagne, going, "Gee, that was hard." Four will be even harder. Let's see if we can do it again. Why not? Yeah, yeah I don't know. Oh, maybe, maybe I just I just I don't want to pretend to be Bill Simmons and get in the, in the head of a an angry petulant jack off who has no reason to be an angry. Petulant jack-off. Look, I agree. I don't like the personality. Don't get me he's wrong. He's paved his own simple path and avoided... He's avoided the hard work, Daz. I just will never respect the guy who's avoided the hard work. Right? I just don't... I just have no respect. He's an amazing 50... I, again, I've watched him play. He's, he's amazing. There's no respect for the guy. He's created the easiest job description. He took the he took the drone flyer instead of the... Right? Into the CEO role. And I, all right, you want the easy path. Win a bunch of titles and no one cares. He's a yeah, but that, this is the my point too. It's not as easy now as it was in year one. I mean, surely you'd concede that. It's not as easy now. I think it's easier. The team is more. 
it's it's easier. No. Right? So it's easier when I, Steph's I, I, not playing as well, when Clay's not playing as well, and when Draymond's the shell of the player that he was two seasons ago. Is and he, it's now somehow I, easier. By what metric is he a shell? By what well, metric is he a shell? Offensively, he, he, look, at, look at the three point stats for starters. He's not shooting well, but that's, that's and it's not his clay. No, of his clay. Is it micro sample? Are you looking at what how four games of shooting stats? Is that what we're looking at? Well, I mean, look at the, look at the about, points he's averaging. Look at the points he averaged in year one in the playoff run. Look at the points he averaged last year in the playoff run. I mean, look at what he's having to Again, do. Synergistic. I'm not saying just Kevin Durant's taking all the shots. <laughs> so you go, well, he's not tired. He's actually shooting the same on the, just at about Durant, the same rate. Clay's going to score more. That's what I'm saying. It's it's a zero sum game with basketball. It's like, right? That's why it's so much easier when you play with a bunch of bunch of other superstars because it's going to be so much easier to get your outcomes. But that, what my yeah. point is, these guys aren't the superstars they were, and they're certainly not playing like it that they were two years ago when they when they marched All I'm saying the live series and they're playing the, tougher opponents. The, we can never do the human multivariate regression analysis to suggest how much of that is just Steph in a bubble not playing as well, or is it not playing as well vis-a-vis the way his other teammates are playing? You just can't, well, you can't know possible. that. And I'm saying the cohesion over time has made the team who's paid, played together for three years, I think, easier than in year one. Now, good question about them as the unit. I had to, I'd have to stop and think a lot harder about you know the, the quality of the competition. Um, but you're never going to get me to the camp that the things that Kevin Durant does is historically significant. It's just not going to get there as, as a team and MV and um, titles him as an individual player. He was an MVP before he joined them. He is freakishly talented and he's a, I probably would still start my, my NBA playoff team with him, right? If I had one season to get through a playoff run, he's still probably the single best player. That's why I go, he wins basketball games He's amazing for 48 minutes and for seven games. He's just not someone I'll ever respect with history. I think we'll probably have to agree to disagree. So he's been spectacular this year, and nothing, nothing surprised me. He was an MVP five years ago. Like, of course he can do this. He well, let's let's see ago. where he ends up. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. certainly earning my respect with this this offseason run. Let's see where where we end up. With that. Let's move quickly over the Houston side. Um, and I guess we can case this in because my, my argument, and when we've had a bit of a discussion about this um, off air, my favourite series of this second round series, despite all the sort of you know the, the drama, I guess that's been happening elsewhere, and wondering what Boston are going to do now, and wondering what Philly are going to do, and you know the the closeness of the Houston uh, Golden State, and obviously the history that those two teams have has been Denver and Portland. Uh, Denver and Portland had the classic quadruple overtime game. They had four very close games that went to 2-2. Now, today was a bit of a blowout because, as I said, I think Portland sort of punted today to a certain extent, uh, got behind early and never really got into the game. Um, like, but and we, and we sort of had this argument, didn't we, a while ago to say, look, what matters in, in these basketball games? Is it stakes or is it the quality of play? And I would argue quality of play matters if, if, if I'm going to be sitting and watching a game. I'm, I'm not looking ahead and thinking, well, 
Denver, if they win this, probably they're gonna, not going to win in the next game, so why do I care about it? I mean, it's it's better basketball than what we're seeing in the other three series, Daz. But, I mean, do you feel the same way or do you just not, not you're not that interested in Denver-Portland because of the fact that it's, it's highly likely neither of those teams are going to win the championship this year? Uh, mostly the latter, but I... Um but I'd also be lying if I didn't say that the, you know, especially with the history they made with the four overtime game, Daz, I, I, you know, this has been talked about by, by many, but it's, it's worth repeating, which is if you, if you picked a, uh, an NBA player to log 65 minutes in a single game <laughs> in the playoffs, I go, first of all, that's wrong. Cause it's not possible. I go, you're correct. It's not. But actually, it happened once in 1953, and it happened again, right, when Jokic, Jokic played 65 minutes. And honest to God, it was it was like an elephant who'd been shot with a 10 tranquilizers <laughs> gun dragging himself through a swamp for, for, for the last three overtimes, the way he was getting up and down the court. But um, So the series doesn't interest me because there's not really anything, anything at stake. And what I say by nothing at stake, Portland's going to be the same team. Dame and CJ are our anchors there. It's a very stable franchise with a stable owner, stable GM, stable coach, stable fan base, an awesome Dame who's already had his, his, his um, amazing career moment with that unbelievable series-winning shot against Russ to send Russ into retirement. And they've played some very competitive ball. And he's got a great narrative around it with losing um, – uh, uh, Yusuf Nurkic, you know, uh, late in the season, and even Cantor now working at 70%. So Portland in the bubble absolutely preserved. They've had a terrific season, win or lose. Denver, similarly, young team coming together um, on some ascendancy. Millsap has slotted in nicely, been a stabilizing force. They've had this great story with the emergence of their this dynamic backcourt now with kind of the four deep, you know, with, um, with Morris and with Beasley, kind of this really fun four force them back they're quite dynamic and um and of course then the you know the ascendancy of Jokic you know who you know is it looks like your you know chain smoking uncle when he takes his shirt off at the beach you know but but god damn is he un he's maybe that's why I got to start to appreciate the charm of Jokic and and just how unlikely his physicalness is to be so dominant on the basketball court just the way he plays is it's part well, just a bonus. He part had a play. Part he dirt. had a play yeah. in the last, and this is what they said. This was what Sabonis was like in his prime. I mean, we didn't see Sabonis in his Sabonis. prime yeah. when he was at Portland. Um, they said Jokic the other day at towards the end of Game Four. So this was obviously after the quadruple overtime game. I think he logged close to forty minutes in Game Four, and he started cranking up, and he couldn't move. And he got the ball and took one dribble and realised he was cramping up. And he just held the ball over his head. So Portland realised they're coming. So they triple-team him. Okay, sorry, double-teamed him. He then threw this magnificent pass, bullet pass, through two Portland players to a cutting Gary Harris who got the reverse <laughs> layup. And you're awesome. just like... What? He is an absolute... He's Steve. He's like Steve Nash in Sar- in Sabonis's body, is what he is, right? He's like he is Steve Nash in Arvidas Sabonis's body, is maybe what. So you're. So to answer your question, there's nothing dramatic about this series because there's no stakes. Both these teams are on really good paths for their for their trajectories, their fan bases, their economics. Um, 
Denver, you know, we've talked about this all day, frustrate the hell out of me because they're low IQ play in the backcourt. But Jokic is an absolute fucking delight to watch play basketball. And these teams have played fucking hard. They have played hard, Daz. So I, I have to tip my hat to how they've played. And, you know, if, you know, I know I know what you say is that, of course, between those men on the court is fucking everything at stake. Their lives feel like they're at stake. But I guess in the context of the NBA, this is not a it's not a stakes sort of series. But Nikola Jokic is maybe if Giannis had been, had been doing what he's been doing, I think Jokic is perhaps the biggest story of the playoffs because he's well, just so, I mean, outside, he's so fascinating. Outside of Milwaukee, and maybe even including Milwaukee, I mean, does is there any team that has a brighter future at the moment than Denver in terms of the young core? That's a terrific future. That's 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 what I mean. There's there's they're stable, right? The, 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 absolutely monstrously bright future. And now part of me, you know, I, I said this all year. If you could put him on the Kevin Love body transformation program, imagine what he could do if he turned. Well, up, he's got know, to get better on the defensive end. I mean, he's still a sieve on the defensive. He's end. still That's pretty immobile. Yeah, he's a good rebounder. He's a good rebounder. <laughs> I'll give him that. He can clear the glass. He takes up space. But uh, but yeah. So back to the point, which is yeah. Look, I'm um, uh, great, uh, great, great for those fan bases. Um, I'm kind of secretly pulling for Portland. Cause I do think that they're, I think their star is going to start to fade. They're going to, they're going to be faced with an, an inevitable decision here with CJ probably, excuse me. Like, will they continue just to trot that team out until their mid thirties or, or break it up and get some value for them? What I'd hate to see happen with the Portland franchise is what's happened to Memphis where they held on to, from my opinion, held on to Conley and Gasol, uh, probably a year or two too long, probably uh, not hard to say two years, but a year too long, and it could have probably got some real value for them. And I just hate to see Portland go that same direction, like with the CJ in particular, and and then just not be able to rejuvenate and refresh around um, around Dame. But well, I think it, as great as Dame's been, he's, he's starting to tire just a little bit in this series, and it's understandable. He's carrying sure. a, a yeah. massive, massive load. Sure. Uh, for that team, so interesting to see what happens in Game Six. I tend to think this one could go the same as as Toronto, uh, Philly in that Portland win Game Six, then we go to Game Seven and, and Denver do the same as they did in San Antonio. Hopefully, a little bit more entertaining game than what we saw with that Game Seven, uh, Denver San Antonio yeah. rock fight. Um, does but look, I, I, last <laughs> point on that. I mean, I give I give Denver a punch a chance if it's Houston they meet. In the, in the conference finals, particularly given they'll have a home court advantage there, um, I don't give them any hope if it's Golden State. I think Golden State in the regular season destroyed them, and I think they'll probably, I don't know, they'll destroy them quite as badly in the in the uh, Western Conference finals. But certainly, I, I give um, I give uh, Golden State the massive edge there. Last question before I let you go, Houston. Um, what chance do you give them of being going to Have you seen much of that series at the moment? Do you do you sort of feel like they're, they're a chance of, of closing that one out? Yeah, look, I saw game one, which was um, painful. And I've, again, I said, I've watched a lot of the highlights just to kind of you know get some visuals to the narrative that I've been hearing and reading. Um, for me, that question hinges on maybe which is which, which is what you were hinting at. Is there is there something wrong with Steph, or has he just had a couple of he just had a couple of rough games, right? So for me, I'm still until proven differently, much like with LeBron, like until I see Steph 
you know, dramatically alter, and he passes doesn't pass the eye test anymore. Um, I'm still going to go with Golden State. So he he still passes the eye test, but I, you know, he expected that the end of uh, was it end of game four, right when Harden gags it, and then Kevin Durant has that wide open, wide open top of the oh. key, right where I. Both of them were wired. Then Steph did, got the one after that. Well, that's what I'm saying, but I go. That's maybe part of the question, which is make, which is the maybe the validity to your to your point, which is the. And now I'm getting into the into the mysticism of the things, and just the, the sensation you get watching these players play. But, you know, when when Kevin Durant shot that, like you thought that was going in, right? Who didn't think that ball, that ball was going in, right? And then and then to ricochet and got tipped out to Curry. I'm like, I kind of didn't think Curry was going to make it, which is so bizarre. Well, I was the opposite. I sort of didn't know that oh, Durant thought, was okay. going to make But Durant, in real time, when I watched it, I didn't realize how wide open he was. And then yeah, when, was, when Steph yeah. took that throw, I'm like, this is a layup for him. And uh, given the time he had, to be fair to him, it did rim out. It was, it was not like yeah, it was it wasn't like a long had, way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. uh, but he did miss it. But look, I just think, you know, Houston have forced Golden State to play their style of basketball, their pace, on their terms. Um, they, they've, they've gotten a couple of wins at home, but I still think Golden State are the better team in this series. If Iguodala's hurt, and, and, or not 100%, that, that's a bit of an equaliser because obviously there's finer margins now for what Golden State need um, to succeed. Uh, but I still think... I actually think they're going to win it in six <laughs> games. I think they can... They'll, they'll take care of business comfortably in game five and then they, they can get the win in game six in Houston from here. But uh, quickly on James Harden too, he's, he's played quite well in this series, but it's just, it's hard to ever um, look at him too too fondly the way the way he goes about it. But um, the step back three has been falling, Daz. So we, we've said, let's see if fall in May. It, it has been falling in this series with some regularity. And him and Durant sort of going head to head has been a bit of a highlight. But it's just, there's there's no worse team to watch. I can't remember a worse team to watch. Maybe that, that Kobe Shaq Lakers team is the only time I enjoyed watching less than this Houston team. Because he's literally watching the same play over and over and over and over and over again on repeat. Yeah, I think my, my favorite stat was, I think it was through the first, was the first two games, 73% of, 73% of Houston's offense was either a, a hardened ISO or hardened ball-handled pickle and roll. <laughs> it's it. Like, like, it is. It's all oh about clear God. out, leave me at the top. Or, so I shouldn't say the same play. It's one well. of two plays. And that's all you see. Yeah, and so I guess maybe what we're supposed to, you know, if we believed like, our... Who likes watching this? I've asked that many times. I just Kobe cannot Bryant. believe. Maybe. Kobe Bryant is glued to a set. I promise you. But uh, yeah, no, fans don't like it. There's there's just no way you could like that. Um, but I go, maybe that's, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe if I zoom back and go, at least it's different. It's not enjoyable. It's not a style. Ever, I'm, I'm so pleased my team doesn't play that way. But guess what? It's different. And that's that makes it interesting. So at least there's a contrast, right? Same with Denver. I go, I, I don't love their low IQ backcourt play. But I go, it's, it's unique. And the way Jokic plays is bloody unique. And Portland, they're the last bastion of like, you know, can you really win an NBA title when your best 
alpha player, six foot two? Probably not. But you know what? Dame makes that journey uh, interesting and dramatic and makes you want to perform. And you got Shaquille O'Neal with a point guard's mindset and Giannis, and I go, that's at least unique. It's different. No one's seen a physical presence like that before. So I go, at least then, you know, we talk about the sameness of the NBA and there's a lot of this this dialogue around, you know, just how it's become so, you know, you know, um, three-pointer and layup happy and sort of money ball. But I don't know. We start, we actually look, look and analyze the way the final eight teams are, are sort of constructed. I'm like, it's actually pretty compelling. At least I think there's still some, there's still some variability left. So. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, Daz, that's a good, good point to leave it, mate. So we'll see where we end up. We might try and uh, catch up again before the, the start of the conference finals, which I, I imagine are going to start sort of early next week, depending on how quickly these other series wrap up. I mean, all, obviously all series are still going at the moment, but I'm, I'm calling the Bucks home, Daz. I hope I, that's not a reverse drinks for you, but uh, I think that series is over, and, and we'll see where the other ones end up um, yeah. in the next few days. So have a good rest, mate. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, try, as I said, we'll try and touch base again early next week, and uh, we'll, we'll Hopefully, we'll be review or previewing a Bucks Raptors, uh, Denver, Golden State, the Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals. That's where where I sort of see that going from here. Yep, it's good times, buddy. Okay, mate. Thanks for the call, pal. All Cheers. Right. Talk Bye. To you, Bye.